looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Gopher, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week is no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 52 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for another week of amazing conversations and fun. This week, you'll be glad you came aboard. I was expecting you, love, life's sweetest rewards. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Ted Lange is here. Isaac from the Love Boat, that's right. We'll be serving up drinks, stories, and love. People will fall in love, fall out of love. There'll be misunderstandings, but everything will be wrapped up by the end of the episode. I promise you that. So get ready for an amazing conversation. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. So some exciting news. The Scene Snobs Network had an award show for podcasters. And I got to say, I'm pretty excited. I won Best Comedy Podcast, Best Interview Podcast, and Podcaster of the Year. That's right. You can tell your friends you're listening to the Podcaster of the Year, as deemed by the Scene Snobs Network. So thank you very much for that. It's always a joy and honor to be an award winner. So thanks to those guys. I do want to also thank everyone that follows and subscribes and tells all their friends about Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help the show grow. I really appreciate it. If you're listening on CastBox, thank you very much. If you're listening on any of the other apps, thank you very much. We did a CastBox promotion recently, gave away some awesome mugs. Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show mugs make coffee taste better. That's just science. I do want to invite everyone also, if you're not on Clubhouse, I'm part of the Comedy Podcast Club on Clubhouse. Check that out. I do a live show on Clubhouse every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern called Literally Live from Detroit, where I actually talk to someone literally live on Clubhouse. So check that out. That's always fun. Also, every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time, we do Crossing the Streams, me and a bunch of pals of mine. We talk about shows that you should be streaming. Awesome TV shows and movies that you can catch on any of the streaming services. So check that out. Lots of live fun coming at you. Okay, buckle up. I want to share something with you. All right. So this happened to me the other day. Week or so ago, like you, I order something online. They ship it to me via FedEx. FedEx sends me tracking information. I watch this package go from facility to facility, from truck to truck, from state to state, as it slowly makes its way across the country to my house. So it finally arrives at my house a couple days ago, and the FedEx guy pulls up to the curb, takes my package out of the car, walks up to my sidewalk, takes one step on the edge of the sidewalk and says to himself, I think FedEx has done enough. The thousands of miles that we have traveled together ends now. And the FedEx guy then proceeded to toss, like a horseshoe, my package onto my porch. And then he turned around and he got back in his truck. I was sitting here watching this on my Ring video, and I'm thinking to myself, You couldn't have just walked three, four, five extra steps and just placed it on my porch. 
you have no idea what's in the box. I know because it's a solid box and it's sealed. It could have been fragile. I waited all this time. It's important to me. Why would you throw it onto the porch when you were so close? You traveled together for thousands of miles. And then that last stretch, you're like, ah, I'm so close. But I'm just going to stop right here on the sidewalk. I can see the porch. It's right there. Yeah. But <laughs> but I'm going to stop. Anyway, so I caught the whole thing on my ring video. And... I posted it on Twitter at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Go to my Twitter, follow me, check out the post, watch the video, and then reply to the video with your best guess how far the FedEx guy tossed my package. You'll see in the video where his foot is. You can't see where exactly it landed, but just give your best guess. That's where the fun comes in. All right, so go go do that. And uh, thankfully, the package was fine and all that good stuff. It's just troubling to to go that far. And then just not be able to just finish it off appropriately. It just seemed, it was, come on, FedEx, you can do better than that. But the good news is it led me to this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor is Tape Measures. That's right, Tape Measures, that flexible ruler used to measure size or distance. Tape Measures, the official measurement tool of the FedEx Horseshoe Team. Are you looking for an easy way to measure things? Are you tired of difficult ways to know how big something is? Well, then a tape measure is for you. Made of cloth, plastic, fiberglass, or metal strips, there's a tape measure that fits your needs and lifestyle. Tape measures now come in two common varieties. One, common sense, that includes inches, feet, centimeters, and meters. And, of course, the America version, which only includes inches and feet. That's right, tape measures. Get to know the distance between you and everything else. All right. Well, that's good. So if you're looking to know how long something is, then you definitely need a tape measure. So as always, support the sponsor. You do it so well week after week. Can't thank you enough means the world to me. Tape measure is available anywhere things are sold. Take care of them. You're taking care of us. It's how we keep the lights on around here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right, quick tip for you. Twitter chats, hot places to meet people and learn things. Just so happens one of the greatest Twitter chats of all time takes place on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Hashtag Twitter Smarter, led by Madeline Sklar, just so happens I'm her guest on May 20th. It happens every Thursday, but you can check me out on May 20th. Come learn all about Twitter and engagement. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Twitter chats are just another amazing way that you can use Twitter. It's not just for tweeting and retweeting and sharing and finding trends and information. You can also have cool conversations. On Twitter, via these Twitter chats, a lot of times they spill over into Twitter spaces and you can hear and talk with people and hear their voice. So that's pretty cool. So check that out. Come visit me on the 20th, but check Madeline out every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And that's the social media tip. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're that part of the show. I'm excited to share the conversation I had with you with Ted. He's amazing. He's an amazing actor, director playwright we talk about it all you're gonna get your fix of the love boat and so much more ladies and gentlemen ted lange all right ladies and gentlemen i'm excited to introduce you to my next guest 
He is one of the stars of one of the most watched and recognizable shows. One of the most recognizable TV characters of all time. <laughs> Come aboard. We're expecting you, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Ted Lange. How are you, sir? Thank you, sir. Fine. How are you? I'm good. How does it feel to be the most famous mixologist slash greatest smile? I was not prepared for that. Being a mixologist, I was not prepared for that. Because, you know, most actors tend bar somewhere in the course of their run towards the golden ring, you know. I never tended bar. I was never a bartender. So when I got the part, I had to go and learn how to be a bartender. I went and enrolled in a school and everything, and they gave me two diplomas, one for Ted and one for Isaac. And I put the Isaac diploma in the Alcapulco Lounge. And uh, <laughs> that was my little inside joke. It was fun. The, there's one other Ted that's a famous bartender, and that's Ted Danson. Yes. And uh, one time he and I were at a theater opening, and we were sitting right next to each other. The odds are like astronomical that that would ever happen. And Juliet Prowse, we were up in the balcony opening night looking down on the stage. Juliet Prowse come in, and she said, hi, Ted. And we both turned and looked. And I nudged and I said, no, no, she means me because she was on our show last week. <laughs> <laughs> so I am the most famous. That's what I let him know. I'm the most famous bartender. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're Isaac on the Love Boat. And you're very famous for, you know, the two-finger point, the two-finger gun, and kind of just reviewing some clips and stuff like that. I found an older version of the opening of The Love Boat where it was just a one finger point. Yeah. At one point, did someone go, guys, this isn't working. We need to pull both fingers out. We got to go two fingers. No, no. no. <laughs> what happened was, the story is we were doing the pilot. The producer says, hey, we want you to look into the lens and smile. And I said, well, because you, you're not really supposed to look into the lens. You look to the side, this side, or that side. And I said, well, what am I smiling about? And the guy says, think about your check. And I went like this, okay. <laughs> That's how that was born, right? They wanted to redo the thing again, because by that time we had traveled to different countries and they wanted a piece of the country in the background and stuff like that. Uh, Julie McCoy was behind in front of the coat hanger bridge in Australia. So they started doing all these things. And, and so they said, Ted, don't forget the point. And I went. <laughs> Two finger point. Yeah, I I didn't realize that I had only done the one point. Now, don't forget the point. I go, I, I got, you know, I got, don't worry, I got it, you know. And that's how the, the two emerged. Totally an accident. Both times it was an accident. But I tell you how I knew it caught on was when um, Bob Crane, you remember Bob Crane from Hogan's, Hogan's Heroes? Heroes? Sure. Yeah, he did a guest shot on the Love Boat. And he's sitting at the bar. He says, Isaac, I got a problem. I said, what's your problem? He says, my girl doesn't like me. And I said, well, why don't you try champagne? And at the end of the scene, he goes. Two finger point. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, okay, that works. Yeah. Yeah, when you see other people doing it or quoting you, that's when that's when you know you've made it. I, t I tell you, even decades now later, that picture of you with the tremendous smile, killer mustache, and the two finger point is a lot of people's 
they use it as their AVI on social media. <laughs> oh, do they? Yeah, yeah I, see, I see it a lot. I have a good friend, Scott, who used it for years. It's just, it's funny. It's like one of those things you look at and you can't not smile when you look at you doing that. It's just, it's infectious. Oh, that's good. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. We had a lot of fun. And there was some club in Florida that had my face on a t-shirt. Somebody sent it to me. You know, I said, hey, you know, did you know that you're their mascot or you're their guy and they're the Isaacs or something like that? And it was just my face on a t-shirt, like a frat thing or something. I don't know. So yeah, you just never know where it's going to go. That's awesome though, right? Yeah, it is awesome. That's a good thing. So you you have the distinction with Gavin McLeod and Bernie Topel, Coppel? Copel. Copel. Bernie, Copel. Oh, Bernie Copel. <laughs> and I'm horrible as him. It's like, you know, you have these word, you have these in your head for years and then you actually have to say it out loud to someone who actually knows how to say it. And it's yeah, it's funny. And Bernie Copel. Because Lauren, Lauren would get Lauren twos all the time. But I would call her Tweez because her first name is not really Lauren. It's Cindy. And she hated the name Lauren. But when I first met her, she was Lauren Tweez. So I just ended up calling her Tweez. That way I knew I was safe. Nicknames are always good. Gavin, Bernie, and you are the only three cast members to be in all 250 episodes of The Love Boat. So that's... that's Well, actually... Is there more? Yeah. Did Google fail me? <laughs> yeah, there's one more. There was the second pilot. And that was, Fred was it? So it's me and Bernie. Because the first guy wasn't the captain. It was a different guy. His name was Quinn Redeker. And he was the captain on the original pilot of Love Boat. They did two pilots. Right. They actually did three pilots. The first pilot, they just threw everybody out and got, kept the boat and got new actors. <laughs> then the second pilot, it was me, Fred, and Bernie, the three of us. They found us. But Fred, as you know, quit halfway through. And so it's me and Bernie were the only ones to be in each and every episode. And I did a TV series called That's My Mama before I did Love Boat. Me and Teresa Merritt, that's my mama. We were in, we were the only ones that were, we were in every episode, me and the mama. So if you give me a job, I'm showing up. I'm You're just going to tell you that right now. I will be on time. I will know my lines and I will hit my marks and I'll show up. So, yeah. So that's my mama. That was two seasons and then was it canceled? Was that where you were coming off of or Mr. T and Tina? No, no, no. Uh, that's my mama was the first thing. Then T and Tina was the next thing that I got. I was only supposed to do, Jeff, you'll like this. I was supposed to do one episode. Uh -huh. Okay. And they said, well, bring that guy back. We like his smile. You know, so they came back and did a second episode. And they said, well, bring him back. And I ended up doing all of the episodes that they shot. Uh, once again, I'm there. If you get, if I get my foot in the door. <laughs> You're going to show up. Do you ever think like what would have happened if, I mean, maybe those shows would have just taken off. But in, interestingly enough, like there's so many stories where, oh, the show gets canceled and, that, and the actor then goes on to the role that defines them, yeah. you know, or like they become most iconic for. Yeah, yeah. The, well, that's exactly what happened. The reason I didn't have to audition is because I did Mr. T and Tina. So when they did the Love Boat gig, all I had to do was meet with the producers because the networks were hot on me after seeing me on Mr. T and Tina. Bernie said to me when we did the film the first day, he said, hey, Ted, I didn't see you at the screen test. When, when did you come? Did you come early in the morning? 
because I was there most of the day, you know, most of the morning and the early afternoon. Or did you come late? I said, Bernie, I did an audition. He goes, what? What do you mean you did an audition? I said, well, the really good actors didn't have to audition. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jeff, after that, for the next 10 years, whenever Bernie would screw up, I would go, that's why you had to audition. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, we have fun. We have fun. What I love about that story is the underpinning that must have been so fun on the cast that you could rib each other like that and have fun with you. Yeah. You were coming in hot off your shows. Bernie was famously on Get Smart. That's one of the things I remember him from. Yeah. And Gavin, well, well, he was on McHale's Navy, but was on Mary Tyler Moore show. Mary Tyler Moore. That was it, buddy. You, you wrote, The Lobo was like this roll up of like some killer actors. Some iconic people came through there. And, you know, we would resurrect old careers, get old Hollywood guys in, and then whoever was young and hot, they put them in the show. All you had to do was be young and hot. You did, it didn't necessarily have to make sense. We did an episode in China where Bernie falls in love with a doctor that lives in China and knows acupuncture. And Bernie's character is skeptical of acupuncture. And so this doctor that lives in China kind of educates Bernie on Eastern medicine. You know who played that part? Who? The big, tall, blonde Susan Anton. (laughs) (laughs) She was hot. So, you know, they they didn't go, well, maybe we should get Lucy Liu or something. They didn't do that. They go... With Susan Anton, who's this big Amazon blonde girl living in China. Come on, man. Yeah, that's so, funny. Yeah, it was about who was hot. I, they, Janet Jackson did our show, and she had just come off Good Time. She was 17 years old. And so they put her on, uh, they put her on Lumbo because she was hot. Uh, you know, her career was, was smoking. And, and I'm going to them and saying, she's 17. I'm 30 years old. That's going to look terrible. She just played a kid on Good Times. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll dress her down and we'll schedule this so that you kiss her when she's 18. All right. And then you feel better now? Okay. Get out of here. <laughs> that was our thing. And so what happened was we would get old timers, old movie stars, and we resurrected their careers and bought them into the fold. So you were the first Jan Jackson scandal way before Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. I was, I was the scandal. Although I didn't go for her breast to rip off her costume. Right, right, right. I was smarter than that because I, I didn't want to do any jail time. They work it out. They, they always figure out a way to work it out. When you said earlier about having to stare into the camera and how awkward that is to stare into the yeah. camera and so that's how the finger point kind of came about i was re-watching some of the openings and it's like that's what they made all the guest stars do was kind of look right into the camera when they put them in the, the little yeah. booth yeah yeah <laughs> and you look and some of them are like okay but some of them are like you can tell it's just like this is so awkward yeah no and uh so i had a little technique when i started directing i had a technique for those because a lot of actors feel uncomfortable just looking into the lens because you're usually looking at someone standing next to the camera. You're not looking into the lens. So I had a technique where I would say, just look into the lens and listen to my voice. And then I would weave a story and they would react to the story. I said, remember the time you kissed that first girl? And, <laughs> you know, so they would relax and stuff like that. You know, I'd figure out a way. What was your favorite 
Isaac storyline on the love boat? I had a couple, actually. I really did have a couple, but I'll tell you the one. The one that was really helpful to me because when we first did the show, they weren't writing for me. And Fred and Bernie wrote an episode in which I fall in love with this girl who's an intellect and she she doesn't like old time Negroes. And we had Scatman Carruthers as the old time Negro. And he and I did a thing called a ham bone. Do you know what a ham bone is? I think I do. It's where you slap your leg and you go, ham bone, ham bone, where you been? Been around the corner drinking gin. Well, when we would go out on the cruises, we would all regale each other with stories. And one day I was talking about coming from Oakland and I regaled Bernie and Fred with the, the ham bone. So I did the ham bone for them. They wrote it into the story. A moment where me and Scatman both do Hambo. And then I kind of, I really like that. But the producers, you know, they, the first year was really tough for me. They didn't know what to do. You know, they, they said, well, we don't write black stories. I said, well, this ain't a black show. So you don't have to write a black story. You're not solving any social issues on Love Boat. So I said, write a gopher story. And on the last pass, Change the name Gopher to Isaac, and you got an Isaac story. Oh, yeah, wow. And so Fred and Bernie wrote this thing for me, and then I ended up becoming a writer, which then later led to me becoming a playwright. And so I've written 25 plays, and I go around the country, particularly the black theaters, and I do plays. So when I was in Birmingham, Michigan, okay, I did Driving Miss Daisy in Birmingham, Michigan, so, you know, when you're on the road with someone, you hopefully you all get along. It can be very frustrating if you don't all get along. So we had Rosemary Prince as Daisy, Fred Sanders as Bully, the son, and me. It's a three-character play. You didn't have all that other stuff that was in the movies, just three characters on stage. And so they had an opening night party. And Fred and I are standing together, and I see this woman in a tight red dress with high heels and she's blonde but it's strictly from a bottle okay and i said fred look over there 10 (laughs) o'clock that gorgeous blonde girl and he looked over and he said you like that and the girl had a figure and everything i go yeah you don't like you don't think that girl's attractive he goes no look over there at three o'clock so i look over at three o'clock and there's a girl in sandals and a long flowery dress and ringlets of curls down to her shoulder and kind of like a hippie-ish girl. And I go, that's the kind of girl you like? He goes, yeah. I said, well, I like the other kind of girl. He said, Ted, that's lemon meringue. And I said, well, lemon meringue, I never heard of that before, but obviously I like, that's what I like, lemon meringue. So Jeff, fade out. Years later, I wrote a play about four black women called Four Queens, No Trump. And the white actresses that I know came to see the play. And they say, why don't you write something for us? I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, black women always get the best roles. And we know. Now, of course, black women ain't getting any roles. But this is what the, the white actors. <laughs> black women, did that, that was funny. What, can you write us a comedy? I said, yeah, I have to think about it. I can write you something. So I decided to write a play about five blondes and it's called lemon meringue facade amazing 
okay? Because I always remember that term, lemon meringue, when Fred said it to me, because I'd never heard that term before. I'd never heard it before either. Yeah, lemon meringue. Those are blondes. In L.A. was a big, big hit. I had to double cast it because everybody wanted to be in it. And then uh, we took it to New York and I did it off Broadway in New York. And it's available on Amazon in case you're interested, along with my other plays. Amazon Prime, you can stream them? No, 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 no. I'm saying if you want to buy the book. Oh, buy the book. Oh, oh, but you can buy the book. Okay, good. Okay, gotcha. I will put links to that in the show notes so everyone can get them. Okay, thank you. Well, so you wrote 25 plays. Yeah. And then first writing then was On the Love Boat? No, no. They improved my writing. They improved your writing? Okay. You got to hone it on the love boat. Yeah, exactly. I wrote, when I was in New York, before I, I came back to California, I wrote a play called A Foul Movement. And it was a one act play. And Cleavon Little was doing a series called Temperatures Rising. And the New York Shakespeare Festival sent over some writings. I was friends with a lady named Novella Nelson, and they sent over some writings because they were looking for minority writers for Cleavon Little's show. At least that's what they said they were looking for. Turns out they weren't looking for minority writers. That's a whole nother issue. So I gave them my play and they thought it was funny. And they said, boy, if you were in California, we'd introduce you to Bill Asher. He's the executive producer of this thing. And he's going to be directing some episodes because you really are a wonderful writer. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, but uh, you're here in New York and you're on Broadway. And so that's not going to happen. But too bad you didn't live in Los Angeles. Well, Jeff, I walked out of that office. It was at Columbia Pictures. I walked out of that office, went into the theater and quit, thinking they were telling me the truth and not blowing smoke up my um, finkster muscle. Okay? Tuchus. Up your tuchus. <laughs> yeah, up my tuchus. <laughs> and uh, so I went back to L.A. because I wanted to be in television. That's what I really wanted to do anyway. So I'm in, I'm in L.A. and I call up the lady at uh, Columbia Pictures and they go, uh, just a minute. Oh, sorry. She's out to lunch. I said, OK, well, here's my number. Tell her that I called. Tell her I'm in L.A. and I want to meet Bill Asher. The next day I call and she's out to lunch. Did you give her my? Yes, yes, we gave him. Next day I call. I said, now I'm going to call earlier. I'm going to call 11 o'clock. Called 11 o'clock. She's out to lunch. Next day, 1 o'clock, called her. Out to lunch, two o'clock, out to lunch, three o'clock, out to lunch. And I saying, this woman popped off the face of the earth and she left a message that she was going to lunch. Anyway, I never got a meeting with Bill Asher. They were just stroking me and I was in L.A. And so I that's when I started working a new hustle while I was in L.A., well, in that person's defense, she just may have been really, really always hungry. Yes, that's very, very true. <laughs> and for some reason, I think her index finger was broken because she couldn't dial me back. Her loss. Yeah. How many people like that you think are there that didn't call back someone who later went on to be famous and then they have to deal with that? How did that going on? You, you know the story of George Lucas and Star Wars? I'm going to guess I don't know the one you're about to tell me. So let's hear it, Ted. Well, then he took Star Wars to Universal. He did American Graffiti and he went to Universal. Universal said, so what else you got? He says, I want to do this movie about Star Wars. And they go, well, well let us read it. And they read it. <laughs> 
said, Joyce, this is the biggest pile of crap we ever read in our lives. <laughs> this is not going to make it. You can't do it here at Universal. So he says, oh, okay. Goes over to 20th Century Fox. And they said, we don't care what it is. You just made a million dollars for Universal. You can do that or you can do Cowboys in Space. Whatever the hell you want to do, we'll do it. And that's how George Lucas. The guy that turned out almost got fired. His name was Nat something. He was working at Universal. He almost got fired because he let Star Wars get away. And George Lucas. Fools. Fools. Well, I think, uh, yeah, Harry Potter, I think she shopped it around to 50 people before someone finally let her publish that book. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I guess it just, you have to keep, you have to believe in your own stuff and you just got to have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah. And what I found out, you know, I liked Harry Potter. I read all of the books, all of the Harry Potter books. And I did a play in the Edinburgh where she lived and wrote the novels. If you go to Edinburgh during the Fringe Festival, they got guys walking around with the Harry Potter scars and they'll give you a tour of all the landmarks, the Harry Potter landmarks. And so one of the stories is that she sat in this cafe writing the things and drinking coffee and her sister-in-law watched the baby. She had a baby. And so you go on the tour and you go, well, this thing over here says that that's where she wrote. That was later. The first place that she wrote is this place over here. And her brother-in-law owned the place. So she would go in, sit in her brother-in-law's cafe and write. And they never told that in the stories that I read, that it was her brother-in-law's place. Because when you think about it, who's going to let you sit up in there other than maybe a Starbucks right. refilling that coffee cup? J.K. Rowling, she's a wonderful writer. Great imagination. Absolutely. So I have some other imp very important questions to ask. I want to hear about the Charlie's Angel crossover. <laughs> yes, the Charlie's Angels crossover. That was fun. Those girls are really gorgeous. That Oh, man. When you see them in person, I have to tell you a story. A Farrah Fawcett wasn't in that. Then it was Cheryl Ladd. But I did a thing for uh, TV Awards, TV Land Awards. And I was going to do a comedic bit for the show. So I go to this chorus-like dressing room where there's a lot of different costumes and stuff. And my red jacket is there and everything. And while I'm in there, Farrah Fawcett comes in with some guy, I assume is her manager, and they're talking. So I'm kind of waiting because I got to put on pants and the shirt and thing. They just keep talking. And so I go, oh, man, well, it's, it's all theater. It doesn't matter. So I take off my pants and I put on my pants and I take off my shirt, put on the, the bartender shirt and jacket and everything. And I look at her and she was sitting in front of a mirror. And every once in a while, she'd look in the mirror and then look back at the guy. So look in the mirror. And I said, Farrah, were you looking in the mirror when I was changing my pants? And she went, I sure was. And I said, Wow, I can't wait to tell my wife that you were looking. <laughs> I go back, I go back to her. I said, Mary, Mary, Farrah Fawcett was checking me out in the mirror. Maya goes, what are you talking about? I took off my pants and she was checking me out. So what? <laughs> I said, whoa, whoa, wait, that's not nice. <laughs> right, right. The, the wife doesn't get what you mean. I get yeah, exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah, the wife, she didn't understand. I'm with you 100%. I totally yeah. got it. I was like, <laughs> 
we had a lot of fun doing the show. We had a lot of fun. And the fun part was meeting like Charlie's Angels. They gave Jacqueline Smith a Jaguar to do that show. Really? She didn't want to do it. Jacqueline says, uh, no, I'm not doing that. He said, and Eric said, no, we want you to do it. It's a great story, blah, blah, blah. She says, nah, I don't want to do it. He says, what if I gave you a Jaguar? Oh, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll do it. So they gave her a Jaguar, and she did the show. All they probably have to do is just say you can watch Ted change his pants. Yeah, right. And if that was fair, that she wouldn't have wanted a Jaguar. She would have just said, put me in his dressing room. <laughs> Do you have any favorite guests? I, I mean, I had, there's so many, I mean, there was 500 people that came on the love boat. I know Lawrence Henderson seems like she couldn't stop coming. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. She did a lot of shows. Her and Charo. I want to know everything about Charo. I wrote that down. I'm like, oh. Charo just was fascinating. Growing up watching Charo. It's just yeah, like, no, she's a sweetheart too. She really was a sweetheart. And it was her and her sister. Her sister made all of those dresses that she wore, all the coochie-coochie dresses. Was her sister made the dresses and was kind of like her wardrobe person. And they were thick as thieves. Charles was really great because she would mangle the language on purpose. And there would be sexual innuendos in the mangling of the language. You know, she said, oh, you, you want to give me coochie-coochie? Said, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I'll take my pants off, then you can check me out. But that's as far as we go. Charo was great. And, you know, she plays flamingo guitar. She's just not a comedian. I mean, she's a serious guitarist. So she was a lot of fun. She had a good sense of humor. And she fit in with us immediately when she came on the show. And she had a deal with ABC. They were trying to look. I, I say that Charo was Sophia Vergara before. In other words, you can't get to Sophia without going through Charo first. And Charo had a deal with ABC TV, and they were looking for a television show, but no one could come up with an idea, you know. Uh, I think at one point they wanted to use the character that she had developed on Love Boat, but it never saw fruition. Whenever the thing came up for her money, they would put her on our show. So that's one of the reasons that you see her a lot is that the network said, hey, we didn't find another show for her to guest on and we didn't come up with a pilot. So uh, we're going to put her on Love Boat. And they go, OK. And she would come on and they'd write a story for her. She was a good deal. That's awesome. And then Cloris Leachman, she was on twice. She's a character. No matter what anybody says, she was a character. I remember we were I was standing in line at the buffet and she looked at my place and said, you're eating a hot dog. And I go, yeah, I like hot dogs. And she reached over on my plate, took the hot dog off my plate and put it back on the buffet. She says, you're not eating that. It's bad for you. And I looked at her, lady, you can't, what are you doing? And I reached back over and I got the hot dog and I put it back on my plate. She was a real character, Cloris Leach. And then a young Tom Hanks was on. Tom Hanks, the first, uh, Tom Hanks. See, they, what they did was ABC did a whole talent search and they wanted to get the best young talent. And they had a program which they would sign the talent and figure out later where to shift them. Tom Hanks was in that program. And what they did was they signed him and then they gave him bosom buddies. Okay. So after he gets bosom buddies, before he films one episode of bosom buddies, they put him on love boat. So his very first acting in front of a camera is on love boat. And then what they were going to do is 
premier bosom buddies and then show him on Love Boat, and that'll help give their show some PR. They also had Arsenio Hall was in that group. Arsenio Hall was one of the people to watch, and he never appeared on our show, but he would do the private social functions for ABC TV. So, like, we would all go to Century City, just a big mucky muck place, to the hotel, and they'd have a show or something, and Arsenio would MC the show. Got it. And we were, back then, we were very supportive of Arsenio because you could see that this guy was sharp. He was really, really sharp. Love Arsenio Hall. Yeah, Love. yeah, he was good. He's got him and Eddie Murphy. They have Coming to America, too. I know. Yeah, he got tight with Eddie uh, in New York when Eddie was on Saturday Night Live. The stand-ups looked out for each other. My friends and I, we did a thing here in Los Angeles because it can be kind of cutthroat a little bit. So there were three actors, myself, an actor named Glenn Terman, and Art Evans. And the three of us decided that we would look out for each other. Because sometimes you go to an audition and, you know, there's numbers going on all the time. And people are not always looking out for your best interest. So we decided that the three of us would look out for each other. So in a sense, we were the three musketeers. But we called ourselves this, that, and the other. Because <laughs> we didn't want to take three hundred because she was already taken. Sure, sure. So we said, we're, we're going to be this, that, and the other. This happened like 40 years ago. So when, during the course of our career, when something would happen, you know, like uh, Glenn did a movie with Ingmar Bergman in Sweden or someplace European, some city, and... I got him some information on Bergman, you know, some interviews with with Bergman on how he handled actors. And so I gave that to Glenn. One time um, I was directing Fall Guy. So there was a part for a guard. So I had my friend Art Evans come in and he played the guard. And uh, one time I was directing uh, the Wayans brothers. And so I had lunch with Glenn and I said, so what do I got to look out for? What's the deal? He says, oh, you're going to have fun, but be aware of this and be aware of that. So what we did was we protected each other and supported each other in our journey. That's awesome. I have one follow-up question uh, on the fall guy. Did you pull Lee Majors aside and go, hey, Lee, I got this story to tell you about Farah? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. But Lee and I got along famously. He came on the love boat and he did. Well, this was all before Farah anyway, so I couldn't tell him that. Oh, That's, man. Well, now you calm up now. Yeah, I can calm well, when up he listens, when he listens to this. Yeah, yeah he'll, he'll hear about it. Uh, no, he and I, we, he came on. What happens is sometimes guest stars are fans of us. And Lee Majors was a fan of my character. So he hung out with me. He said, hey, listen, why don't we go over here? I go, oh, okay, yeah, sure. John Aston was that way. You know John Aston from the Adams family? Sure. He and I got along famously, and we hung out together because we were on the same page. We would go find these. He came on the Egypt show. We went all over Egypt, John Aston and myself, just finding hole-in-the-wall cafes and talking to the locals and stuff like that. We had a good time. But Lee... We went to, um, he liked Stolichnaya. You ever had Stolichnaya? I have not. Stolichnaya is very good. I like Stolichnaya. So, uh, 
Next time you're in Birmingham, I'll buy you something. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that. We went out and we would drink Stoli. I went to the bathroom and over the urinals in the bathroom were all of these posters of beautiful women. So that when you're standing at the urinal, you're looking at different movie stars. Okay. Well, Lee came out of the bathroom. He says, I want to see the manager. And they go, well, what, what? now we're in Hong Kong. Well, what is the problem? So I want to see the manager. Manager comes in. He says, you've got a picture of my wife over a urinal. I want that picture down. And if you don't, I'm coming back tomorrow. I'm going to rip it down. He said, no, no, no problem. No problem. We'll take the picture down. So uh, anyway, he and I were drinking and we got pretty sloshed. And we go back to the hotel and we're standing out in front of the hotel. Now, I am concentrating on having my back against the wall of the hotel. And so was Lee. And I knew we both thought the same thing, that if we didn't keep our backs against the wall of the hotel, the building would fall over. (laughs) So we're standing there. And he says, hey, Ted, you direct, right? I go, yeah, I direct. He says, why don't you direct my show? I said, you want me to direct your show? He goes, yeah, I want you to direct my show. I said, okay, I'll direct your show. And he says, and if you get in any trouble, I'll help you. I'm not going to get in any trouble. I went to the AFI and know how to direct film. That's how I got my job directing fall guys is we went out drinking and when you're sitting there drinking and just and everyone's like staring at the table going that's isaac and the bionic man <laughs> right exactly <laughs> it's gotta be surreal right i mean <laughs> yeah well and, and the great the good news is the management keeps people from coming over to the table so you could actually have a conversation i did one uh, i'll never forget uh robert conrad who did the wild wild west Mm-hmm. I was in an Italian restaurant and he was in a booth across from me. And I saw someone coming towards me, obviously a fan, and they were coming and they were coming to get an autograph. And I was in the middle of my meal. And the management comes right up behind the guy, grabs his elbow, and leads him right past my table. Nice. You know? Yeah. And so you go, that's why celebrities come to certain restaurants. Because they could go out, have a meal. And, you know, enjoy the company of whoever they're with. And I went over to Robert Conrad's table. And I said, you know, I did a Fantasy Island. And on Fantasy Island, I played a stunt guy. And I had to climb up a Ferris wheel. And I said, when I climbed up the Ferris wheel, I did the theme song from the Wild Wild West. He said, you did? I go, yeah. Bum, bum. Bum, 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 bum. So that was going through my body. That's awesome. I got to tell him. That's what was awesome to me is I got to tell him. That's a true story. Paul Williams was on the show. He wrote the theme song. He was on twice. Those were his crazy days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was said, I, you know, I'm very appreciative to your show. And we said, why is that? He said, because... I had been writing a lot of theme songs for television shows and none of them hit till this one. I said, oh, is that right? Go, yeah, this one is the one that hit. So I have a fond place in my heart because it made him a lot of money too, by the way. And then him and uh, Charlie Fox went to Jack Jones and said, "This is we want you to sing this song. 
This needs your voice. It's one of the most classic. I mean, I think even now, well, I'm not going to, but I can start singing, you know, come aboard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. I, I wish they had never moved away from getting rid of theme songs. I think theme songs were so kind of part of, of the shows that they were part of. I mean, when you think back to like those decades and like, welcome back Cotter and like all all these shows just had amazing theme songs. Well, you look at Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince wrote the theme song to his show. Yeah, amazing, right? Great. You know, and so, you no, know, it's still around a little bit. Usually when you have to explain something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, how does the kid get from Philly to Beverly Hills? Well, let me even tell you what it's you know? Exactly. Who was your favorite guest of all time? Wow, I had a lot of them. I had a lot of them. I liked Diane Carroll because I got to kiss her. Oh, you know what I did? I did a show with Sherry Belafonte. You know who Sherry Belafonte is? She's gorgeous. She's a model. And she did uh, an episode of The Love Boat. But I wasn't her love interest. LeVar Burton from Roots and Star Trek, that was her love interest. So we're in the dressing room and I come back from lunch and I say, hey, um, Sherry, did you get the um, the rewrite pages, the new pages? And she goes, no, what new pages? And I said, well, listen, they want to make LeVar jealous so he catches you and I kissing. So look, let's just get the kiss out of the way right now. And that way we won't be nervous or upset or anything like that when we have to do it on camera. So she says, okay. So I go over and I kiss her. Sherry Belafonte, and she's a good kisser. And I say, why don't we do that one more time? And she goes, why don't you show me those pages that you were talking about? <laughs> I said, oh, she knew all along. I just wanted to kiss her. So, yes. She saw right through your smooth moves. Sounds like she put you in your place. Sir. Yes, she did. And <laughs> happy to be there. So the character of Isaac Washington, besides Love Boat, and then you all re reunited on the next wave. You were on Charlie's Angels, but you were also on Martin and Weird Science. So you've got five times that that character appeared, which is says a lot about the character. But then you also showed up as a kind of a barkeep on like King of Queens. Not we weren't specifically Isaac on the King of Queens. No, no, that was the guy. You know what it was? But it meant to elude it, right? I mean, I yeah, like, exactly. And giving advice, and I gave advice to the King of Queens. But the real deal was the producer just wanted to talk to me about another movie I had done because I said. There was no reason for me to be there, Jeff. I'm going, well, what is... Well, people will tell you. If you just keep your eyes and ears open, people will tell you. And so producer was there, and it's like, hey, how you doing? Like, and there's one line. I come in, I do one line like, you know, it's your dream or wake up or something like that. And so you're kind of listening. Why am I here, really? And then the guy said, hey, can I talk to you about something? And I go, yeah, sure. He says... When you did Watt Stacks in this movie called Watt Stacks, and I was very uh, forthright in my disapproval of Hollywood and of my situation as African American, and I expressed it as he said, Well, you did you really, you felt like that? Is that, is that real? He says, Because you had this and that, and Hollywood gave you this and that. I go, Yeah, but how many black directors you got here? None. How many? How many black directors have have done episodes here? None. And I said, that's what I was talking about. That's all. I said, we just want parody. You know, and that's what I had to 
try to achieve on my show is I wanted parody. And I started getting it after Bernie and Fred helped me. So uh, it was interesting. The guy just couldn't say, hey, I saw this movie. I'd like to talk to you or take you out to lunch or something. No, he gave me a part. I showed up for the part. And then while we're standing around waiting to film, he said, let me ask you something. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. King of Queens. Well, hopefully they started hiring more black directors after you put him in his place. I didn't put him in his place. I just made a comment. Couldn't deny. But I certainly didn't put him in his place. He was he was almost like he was inviting you to, to say it so he would feel he needed to push himself to do it or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So listen, let me say this, because people want to know some of the things I've been doing. Right now I'm doing a thing for Americanstage.org. So one man show that I directed. And it's about Louis Armstrong, Satchmo at the Waldorf. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. Do you have any other plays in the works? Yeah, here's another one. This is another play that I've written called The Footnote Historians Trilogy. And I write historical plays from an African-American point of view. So, for instance, uh, George Washington. I have a play about George Washington, and I write about him and his favorite slave, William Lee. And their story, most people don't know this, but William Lee was with George Washington every day of the American Revolution. Dressed him, shaved him, combed his hair, cut his hair, was like a valet, except that he was a slave. But he handled everything for George Washington, laid out his paper. George Washington taught him to read so he could lay out his papers for him and all of that during the American Revolution. Carried his spyglass. One of the things I do is I pick different parts of American history, and I find the African-American involvement in it. And then I write a play around the, the different people. I got a play called Lady Patriot, which is about a African-American female slave who seemingly is a young girl, seemingly can't read or write. And she is given to Jeff Davis, the president of the Confederacy, and she's a spy. Wow. And they have no idea. And at a certain point in the in the Civil War, they realize there's a leak. They can't figure out who is the guy. And it's really the girl. And I have these great scenes where they're telling some really sensitive information. She's just dusting, lifting up the hand, dusting on her. They don't even <laughs> see her, man. I read somewhere you refer to yourself as a footnote historian. The only way, Jeff, that I could find out information about the African-Americans is their footnotes. And so I would buy these books and then I'd find the information and I was able, you get enough books. One author tells you this about William Lee and then someone else tells you that about William Lee and someone else tells you something else. And so I then kind of called together what that character's story is and then I write the story and I try to include some of the things that happen are iconic. And I try to show you how that moment happened for the character, for the African-American hero, how they got to that point. And maybe you've heard this part of the story. Well, this is how that happened. That's great. Those stories need to be told. Yeah? I think yeah. Hidden Figures kind of shed a lot of light on. Wow. Wasn't that something? I had no idea that that kind of thing was going on. That's the same thing with uh, my plays. I got characters you have no idea that they were even there, let alone that it was going on. Whoever documents the history, that's the history. And so 
but that's not all the stories. So it's right. important to have these things and the stories that you're bringing to life. Important, very important. Yeah. And usually you're more interesting than the ones that are hanging around, right? Depends. If the writer's a decent writer, you can really uh, tell a story. And that's what I like to do. I like to tell a story. As you probably noticed by now at the end of uh, this thing that I like to tell a story. It's definitely a thread. <laughs> yeah. Definitely... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you spending all this time with me. You're fascinating. You really are. It's oh. uh, you're so so talented. So many different aspects to you. Thank you're you. not just a bartender. You're not so just more. a bartender. That's the name of my uh, autobiography. Not just a bartender. <laughs> That's gonna be the book when I write it. That's a perfect name. Yeah. 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 Extremely talented. So so many great things you've done. Very exciting. Is there a way the plays are on Amazon? Plays are on Amazon. You can get Footnote Story and Trilogy on Amazon. Lemon Meringue Facade is on Amazon. And I've got some plays on YouTube. If you want to go to YouTube, I, I've written uh, some Shakespearean plays. One's called uh, Shakespeare Over My Shoulder. You go to YouTube. Type in my name, then type in the title of the play, Shakespeare Over My Shoulder, Blues in My Coffee, which is my Black Lives Matter play, The Tears of Shylock, which is about being an immigrant in the country, and then Four Queens, No Trump, the play I talked about earlier about four black women. Do you hang out on social media at all? Twitter, Instagram, anything no. like Facebook? No, no, not at all. I'm not going to take a picture of my food and then put it on, uh, you know. You could probably get an amazing Instagram with just photos of drinks. That would be, yeah, right. That would there probably be huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can have that idea. That's uh, that's your gift for coming on my show. Okay, well, thank you, Jeff. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. It was such a pleasure hanging with you and talking with you. I appreciate you coming by the show. Thank you. Good to talk to you. All right. How fun was that? Ted Lange, ladies and gentlemen. I especially love the story he shared with me about being in Birmingham, Michigan, not too far from my hometown. I think I'm going to owe him a drink if he ever comes back there. That will be a hoot. I hope you enjoyed all those great stories. And also check out all of Ted's plays. I'm going to put links in the show notes to everything we talked about. So definitely check all those out. If you enjoyed my conversation with Ted, don't forget, there's like 51 other episodes you can check out also. If you're new to the show, go to jeffitsfunny.com, sign up for my mailing list, check out the entire back catalog. You can listen to everything there or on your favorite app, such as CastBox, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever you love to use. All right, well, we're nearing the end of the show, so you know what that means. That means it's time for another hashtag roundup trend of the week. That's right. That's where we dive into the family of hashtags from hashtag roundup. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app on Google or iTunes and play hashtag games with hashtag roundup all day, every day. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, The Jeff DeWaskin Show. This week's hashtag, in honor of Isaac from The Love Boat joining us, is hashtag make a movie a drink. That's right, the ultimate movie and drink mashup hashtag found only on hashtag Roundup. You take a movie, you mash it with a drink, and you get hilarity. 
This week's game was brought to you by Dangerous Tags, a weekly game on Hashtag Roundup, hosted by Anything Pork. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here are some amazing hashtag make a movie a drink tweets. The Tangover. Where's Doug? A Nightmare on Earl Grey Street. Don't fall asleep. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There will be Bloody Marys. The Muppets Drink Manhattans. Disney will not like that one. Here's some more amazing hashtag. Make a movie a drink tweets. Pretty in Pink Lemonade. Moscow Mule on the Hudson. The Huns for Red Martini. A Starbucks is born. Shirley Temple of Doom. Sex on the Beach Blanket Bingo. Bottoms up. Beer and loathing in Las Vegas. No Cosmos for old men. Fifty Shades of Grey Goose. And the final hashtag make a movie a drink tweet. Fast times at Miller High Life. Oh, all right. Those were some awesome tweets. As always, they'll be retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter. They'll also be listed in the show notes. Show them some love. Retweet them. Like them. Comment on them. Do it up. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? Episode 52 is coming to an end. Where does the time go? Ah, so much fun we've had together. Thank you for spending this time with me. Special thank you to my guest, Ted Lange, for hanging with me. Special thanks to all of you for listening week after week, subscribing, liking, telling all your friends, interrupting family dinners to say, hey, if you listen to Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show, well, you should. I appreciate everything you guys do. If you're like, wait a minute, I don't do any of that. Well, do it. What are you waiting for? I'm going to ask again next week, so let's not make this embarrassing. So until then, have a great week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.